When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the bluest room in town Yeah, they're actually funny And the guests are sound Through the ups and the downs Yeah, they'll be there waiting for the next time round You can find out what it means Everton will break your heart But they're still your team It's far from doom and gloom So tune in now And get involved with the blues it's the Blue Room. It is your weekly show. A little bit later, a little bit of a different day. Uh, the break and the midweek match have skewed us a little bit. Uh, but we're here to talk about Everton and Everton team. Despite everything, are into the fourth round of the FA Cup. They've got a game against Luton coming up next weekend. So we've got a weekend without them. Uh, I don't know if that's something I'm looking forward to or not. We'll get into that a little bit more as we go on. Uh, of course, we will talk about profit and sustainability, FFP, um, all the letters of the alphabet a little bit later on the show and um, when it comes to Everton and what that might have in store. But we're going to start off by talking about football. And joining me to talk first and foremost about football are Patrick Ridge. Patrick, good to get you back on, mate. How are you doing? Oh, thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah, good, thank you. Just, uh, yeah, surviving the freezing cold. I'm jealous of uh, Lyndon over in the, the warmth <laughs> of California. But, uh, yeah, and uh, it is a bit weird, isn't it, this weekend? It's it's like I think everyone needs a rest from Everton, but at the same time, it would be also nice to have some actual footy to focus on instead of, um, you know, instead of all the other nonsense. But, yeah, apart from that, away from that, really good thanks. Just, yeah, getting through this cold spell. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Uh, Lyndon, is it warm in California at the moment? Uh, not where I am. I mean, it's probably, I don't know, like 12 or 13 right now. We've not quite as cold as you, but we've had mm. I mean, we've had our chilly days, but no, it does not compare. And then obviously the rest of the country is dealing with like Arctic, like truly Arctic temperatures and, you know, lakes freezing and stuff. So, yeah, we, we've got it easy over here. Yeah, well, none of us can moan, really, in that case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, let's let's start off by talking about the the footy side of it. Um, like I said, into the the fourth round of the cup. It, I mean, it, it was an absolute slog. Um, watching that at Goodison Park on a Wednesday night, I'm not gonna lie. But I just sort of wanted to to speak, Patrick, about the the three games after Wolves as a whole, really, because you know I, I don't know about you, but watching that Wolves game, I was I was sort of sat there wondering, is is this the end of something in a sense of you know the end of a, a bad run and certainly the end of a good run in a team that's just gone one game too far or is this the start of something where you potentially have a have a tricky run and you know the squad gets stretched and, and the players start to find it really hard but I think the way in which they've kind of bounced back from that has, has been obviously when he's got one goal in that time but three clean sheets and we progressed in the cup we've got a really good point against a, a good Villa side um, I think they, they deserve a lot of credit for the way in which they bounced back from what Dice has said a few times it was you know, one of the aberrations of the season, really, in terms of performances. Yeah, I think it was just a case of, like, if if we look at them in kind of three-game blocks um, after the four-game winning streak um, that we had, you know, the Spurs game, where I think we can all say we deserve at least a point from it, like, played probably one of the best performances of the season, to be honest. Um, 
especially from any team I've seen against Spurs, are absolutely fantastic and very unfortunate not to get a point and not to win it. Um, and then the City game, it's kind of a, a very good first half for what it was. And then in the second half, it was just that kind of the fatigue playing against City, there, a bit of quality, a bit of a you know mistake from Pitford. And then, yeah, that, that one game too many against Wolves where it, just none of it looked right, none of it worked, the change of shape, it just, yeah, everyone looked knackered. And then, yeah, just to recover, and it, it felt weird because it's, you know, we had, what, eight, eight games in December and seven, like six of those were over a period of two weeks or five of those over a period of two weeks. And then the next two and a half weeks, we've had three games. And it's just how that part of the season works. And it it has felt like they've been slowly getting getting there and, you know, defending well. Keep I think what we did against Palace in the first game was keep go back to basics. And just get the shape back, get defending well again, stop conceding those sloppy chances. And, you know, we had a few chances ourselves. I think could have probably won it if Calvert Lewin hadn't been sent off. And then, yeah, just kind of built from there. Really, I think the Villa performance, a bit shaky at times, but they're a really good side. And, you know, I didn't I didn't get to watch the uh, I listened on the radio on Wednesday. It was it was lovely, quite therapeutic. I might just do it for the rest of the season and you know, find out we've uh, we finished sixth or something, and then got twenty points deducted. But um, yeah, it was uh, it was it sounded at least like it was just really one of those games that was a slog. But at least Everton had the quality, the the moment of quality in the game to to get over the line. Yeah, I mean that's my main takeaway from from Thursday, Lyndon. I sort of said this a little bit after the game on on Wednesday night, and that's that Andre Gomez has still got that bit of magic hasn't he and I think in our position at the moment with the squad so thin with you know a midfielder at the African Cup of Nations with our other main attacking midfielder I was injured we've got to look at players like that and try to find a way of using them haven't we and and, and Gomez might only be able to play a half here half an hour there but it feels like over the next few weeks certainly with the Corey injured we're gonna to have to get him on the pitch quite a lot yeah, we're going to need him to step up. Particularly those those players that've got the ability, and you know, Andre Gomez is, it's it's a, it's amazing when you when you look at some of the the video clips from his Valencia days. What a just a talented player he was, and we haven't we've really only seen that in very brief flashes. So, yeah, we need we need as much as he can give us, and you know, go go out with a bang, make it make us feel like we were keeping you on, even though we can't afford to keep you on, and and we know from history that. You know, you just don't have the consistency to to perform the way that we need you to. So I think, yeah, I think you're right. If he can give us some some really important moments in a half here, a half there, it's going to be important because I think if you look at the team as a whole, we've got so few ways to change the team if things aren't going well. Um, and obviously, the the Dan Juma issue is is sort of contributing to that. I think we all expected him to to contribute a lot more than he has. Um, whether he stays or not, it seems it's very conflicting reports right now whether he's going to stay or not. But he's kind of a that that's symbolic of that wider issue where, you know, if we're getting to deep into a match and we we really need to change something and it's not working and the opposition has kind of worked out what we're trying to do, which I think is we're seeing that quite a lot now. They they kind of know what we're going to do and how to stop us and just having something a game changer off the bench, which. At times and very rare times, as we know, Gomez has been that that player. So yeah, absolutely, we need him to to, to chip in with some with some magic because he's he's got it. We know he's got it. He just needs to to deliver it. Yeah, I was going to talk about Dan Juma actually before we we moved on. Um, I thought it was really interesting, Patrick, that he didn't even get on the pitch on on Wednesday night. It was one of them where I think he did okay against Villa, didn't he? But 
you know, it wasn't a statement performance by any means. I think he was certainly better against Villa than he was against Burnley in the cup, where it was like, my word, you know, what on earth are you doing here, sort of thing. But um, Dice quick to get McNeil on the pitch that day when he didn't look anywhere near fit, even against Villa. And then in midweek again, I don't think McNeil looked anywhere on it. And I think he's, he's quite cautious players, um, bringing players back from, from injury, Dice. But I think McNeil, for some reason, he, he likes to. Get him back quick. I remember when he, when he brought him on a Sheffield United earlier in the season. I was like, oh my God, this lad's nowhere near it. Um, but I, and I don't know if that's a, a measure of the fact of how much he likes McNeil or he just doesn't seem to, to quite trust Dan Juma. And, he, and even Lewis Dobbin getting on the pitch before him on, on Wednesday. It's it's one of them where like the more you see stuff like that, despite what he says in the press conferences and, st- and, and those kinds of things, I kind of wouldn't be surprised if he ended up elsewhere at the end of this window. No, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I think, yeah, with Dan Juma, when he has got on the pitch, yeah, he hasn't really done much. But then, I almost—it's it, so frustrating because it's—it's it's like he's, he's nearly been there as well. There's nearly been those moments. So against Villa, he obviously he had the volley, which he probably should have done better with. I think he then had a shot where he should have passed it. But then the only other thing he does is play a fantastic outside the boot pass through to Calvert Lewin, who should score. And if Calvert Lewin puts that away, everyone's going. Oh, that what a brilliant pass from Dan Juman because he doesn't. He's kind of, and it's kind of taken away. Even back to that Burnley game where he was really poor in a role that maybe we did think would suit him, but I don't think does if you're just going to play direct because he's he's not got that height on physicality. There was a point just before he went off where Calvert Lewin and he plays a one-two with Calvert Lewin. Calvert Lewin breaks, plays it back, and it just gets a a, a Burnley defender just gets to it before Dan Juma gets a tap in. And even against Palace in the cup, when he's got a few chances and you know he's he's nearly there, those nearly moments, and it's like if one of those goes in, are we are we thinking very differently about it all? Um, I was, a, I, I am surprised that he didn't play on Wednesday, and that did that was probably the time when I finally thought, well, I think he'll be gone before the window shuts. But I do think it's imperative that if they are going to do that, they have to get someone in before. And I know the money's tight, but. You know, in theory, I think Everton paid what three million for him, give or take, on loan. They're gonna get some of that back if the loan is cancelled. They just they'll get probably half of it back for half season, give or take again. Um, you know, can that money be used to then go and get I don't know Maxwell Corney or someone like that who's going to come in on loan on a cheap deal and actually make an impact? Um, but if not, they've got to keep him because I just think they're far too short. But yeah, Dyche just kind of absolutely loves McNeil and. He is that one player that he'll just play through anything, won't he? It's like his foot was hanging off and then he was back a week later. <laughs> and now he's played 90 minutes in a kind of not a meaningless game, but like, you know, like did he did he did McNeil really need to play 90 minutes on Wednesday? I don't know. Um, but yeah, it just feels like the Dan Juma thing is a signing that I think is not worked out through no one's fault, really. I don't think he's got a massively bad attitude, maybe, maybe flashes of it. Um but, you know, he's doing his coaching badges at Everton. He's, he gets along with a lot of the players by the sounds of it. I think it's just one, he doesn't really fit the system. And it's like, Daichi is just not going to use him if he if he doesn't fit, unless he doesn't have any other option. Yeah, there was a funny moment on Wednesday, actually, um, where like James Garner's taking a corner in front of the Garner Street and Dan Juma and Chimiti are warming up. And like, they went over to him and like, gave him like, this big like pep talk before he was taking the corner, like trying to really encourage him. I was like... <laughs> Oh bless! You're just so keen to be involved somehow, some way in this football match because you you know you're probably not going to get on at any point. Uh, what 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 would you do with him, Lyndon? Because it's 
it, there is there is talent there. Isn't it? I think we saw it in the first half against against Crystal Palace, and he obviously faded off the game that day. But it does just feel like it's Dice only really plays him when he feels like he, he absolutely has to, and, and all other options are sort of gone. Yeah, it's been a bit weird, hasn't it? He's he's got sort of gone games where everybody and his mother's got on before Dan Juma, and then he's straight back into the team. It's I've it, been trying to work out what Dice has been trying to do with him, but. I mean, he's clearly got talent. We've seen that from when he was at Villarreal and he scored a couple of goals for Spurs as well. Yeah, I mean, he obviously didn't get as much playing time there as he wanted either. Um, I think you, you nailed it when you said when when you said it doesn't really fit in the system because you know it's it's the the way that we play. He's really got to be an effective goal scoring winger for us because one thing we need in the team is goals. Um, I think early on in the season, particularly when he scored the, the early goals in the cup and at Sheffield United, you thought, yeah, okay, this lad's this lad's going to be a, a really good um, weapon off the bench, and obviously standing in when 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 the the first choice wingers aren't fit. But it's just it's just not worked for him. I think he's he's like some of the other players. He's sort of trying too hard to make that statement, and a lot of the time when he should release the ball, when he shouldn't shoot, he's shooting. Obviously, he's really unlucky at Spurs. And when that last chance goes off off the goalkeeper's knee, the jammy bugger. Um, but yeah, I, so I feel, yeah, I feel bad for him. But it's when you're looking at the way that Deitch wants to play and the that that kind of maximum effort thing that that the Deitch requires. I don't know whether Dan Juma really fits that mold, whereas McNeil clearly does. So I think if we can find another player of that mold, then maybe it does make sense for him to leave. But we can't let him go unless we got a replacement lined up. Because I think that would be suicide. Yeah, I don't really look at him. I never think like you're lazy or not tracking back when he's been on the pitch for us. But like, I've never really he's never really stood out as a hard worker either. It's a, it's an yeah. interesting one. But he has had quite a few like nearly moments. I I remember the the volley he had late on in the the semi yeah, sorry, it's the quarter final against Fulham to, to pull us through. If that goes in, mm. like you were saying before, Patrick, you know, in one of the other games, he if he scores that, he's a hero, and all of a sudden, then things look a lot different for him. Um, I think, I think oh, yeah. he just, he's a floater, isn't he? And like, I yeah. think that's the thing of like the, the position he plays as well. He's like, he's not quite a striker and not quite a winger. And that just isn't a position in a Sean Dyche team. I think Mick Greenall said that a few times as well. It's like, it's just a player that, that there's definitely a player there and in the right system would click, but he's not good enough to change your entire system around, of course. But like the goal he scored against Sheffield United, that is to me what Dan Juma can bring that we haven't really got. And, the frustrating thing is we see McNeil cutting a lot and I, I think Dyche likes that and he kind of gets that number. But it happened, uh, one of the highlights I've seen from the other night, McNeil gets the ball on his, like he's on the right side of Everton's penalty area. He's come over to link, of Palace's penalty area, come over to link up with Harrison. But because it would be to put it onto his right foot naturally, he just can't do it. He, he, he just can't use his right foot. And it's like, if we could get Dan Juma doing that, you have then a player. But like when Dan Juma plays, he kind of seems to just stand out on the left and not really do anything. So it's, yeah, it's it is frustrating. He's he's hilariously one footed McNeil, isn't he? Like the, 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 <laughs> yeah. There was the moment in the game on Wednesday. I can't remember exactly when it was, but like he was running across the pitch and, and like you were saying, like the ball was so naturally on his right side, and there was nobody near him. But he still was like running round to kick it with his left foot. It's just like, <laughs> come on, mate! You, you can't, your right foot can't be that bad. You're a professional footballer. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see what what happens there. Um, but yeah, like I said, lads, lad, no game this weekend. Um, but there is stuff looming over us, isn't there? Um, of course, uh, five days ago now, it feels 
like so much has gone on since um, we found out that Everton were getting hit or have been charged with another breach of proper sustainability rules. Um, I mean, Lyndon, where, where are you at with this, mate? Like, uh, throughout the week, I've been trying to, like, I don't know if you've seen the the um, the program over here called the Million Pound Drop, but then there's a version of it in, in America. Mm-hmm. So yeah. effectively, you put, like, you've got a big stack of a million pound and you like, you, you get a question and you've got four possible answers and you can, you can put it on each answer based on how sure you are. So if you know it completely, it's a million quid. Right. You, can divide it, you can divide it up basically depending on how sure you are. And I've kind of been doing that in my head of like how angry I am at different <laughs> people this week. So like I've had like half of it's like at Everton, like 25% of it's at the Premier League. And like, and like it, I keep, it's it's very fluid. I'm not like, I've not like settled yet. And I, I still don't quite know who, who I'm most angry at, who I'm most disappointed <laughs> with, um, where I should be directing any bits of rage that might emerge every now and then. Um, just emotionally all over the place with it. Um, how are you finding it all? Where, where, where is it sitting with you now five days on? Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit like you because, you know, when it, in, in the cold light of day, when you look at it and you look at it particularly because I think someone surfaced the, the, uh, an article in The Guardian on Toffee Web today, just in the comments, going back to where it said, you know, Premier League teams face points deduction for breaking the new uh, profitability and sustainability rules. And you kind of think, okay, so the rules have always been there. We've known about the rules and we've known about the potential consequences of them. Um, So on the one hand, you know, and and we've seen how much we've spent. We've been railing against it for years. You know, the amount of money that's just been, you know, thrown up against the wall and and, pissed down, down the gutter by, by the club. And then on the flip side of you look at our net spend over the last five years and that's, you know, yeah, okay, you can account for wages and all the rest of it. We've had some high earners, which we've been working to get off the books. But when you look at it in that sense, like, well, we haven't been like recklessly, madly, madly spending, you know, the way that, say, the City did in the early days of, of you know, when Abu Dhabi United Group came on board. So it's, it is it, it is very much kind of on the one hand this, on the other hand that. And then, you know, you come down to, you come down to the, to the fact that we've been given a 10 point deduction for something that that was less um less egregious than what you know, Portsmouth going out of business in 2009 and then you get into the fact that there was no yes there was an agreed uh fact that you would have a points deduction but there was no format for how that would how you would work that out until they made it up at the last minute after we'd already been charged um and so i'm at the point where you know the, the fundamental um, rationale for the deduction in the first place. Um, so I don't know where I'm going with this now. Yeah, it's 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 just the fact that we've been given this this egregious points deduction, and the people who have been hit the hardest are the fans, obviously, and the players and the current manager. And we're going back now three years for the for the for the or three or four four years actually now. If you've got the double COVID years, um, you know that we're still being hit for that. The double jeopardy aspect is obviously huge. How can you, you know, how can you, how can you charge a, you know, a team for for the same crime twice? Give them points deduction two in the same season, you know, for something that happened three years ago under people that have long gone. The man, the the owners got one foot out the door. So I think, yes, in principle, the idea of a points deduction and and PSR rules all made sense. All the clubs signed up to it. Maybe maybe half of them didn't think they would ever get you know fall foul of it. So yeah, just we'll vote it in and, and deal with it later. Um, Everton right up to 
May 2022 were being told by the Premier League that they had no case to answer for. I think they clearly felt that, um, you know, they had verifiable mitigating factors, you know, behind any breach. Um, the Premier League obviously telling other clubs that Everton were fine. And then they, they the league appears to have got the hump that we signed a few more players in the summer of, of 2022, which, I mean, they were all under 15 million, some of them on the, on the, on the drip. You know, and then you've got Chelsea spending the small the, the GDP of a small country every summer when you know and, and just spending whatever they want. So for me, the fact that there's no precedent for the situation, there was no points framework, uh, sanction framework, <clears throat> and Everton clearly felt that they were being transparent and working with the Premier League. The fact that this was a novel situation, it had never happened before. I just feel like there should have been a degree of latitude applied by the Premier League. And I'm hoping that's what now comes out of the appeal process is that someone's going to say, look, you know, 10 points was for a 20 or 19.5 million pound breach was, was pretty over the top. You know, let's, let's, you know, let's, let's address that. Let's bring it down um, and then and see what happens. But yeah, it's, it's, it, 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 it's, it has such, such potential to, to damage the club is the scary part, you know, and it's not our fault. Yeah, um, Patrick, I know you read the the previous document that came out after the Independent Commission gave us a 10-point deduction, um, cover to cover a couple of times. You were on a show with Dave and knew, knew it in and out. I mean, are you, are you ready to go through all that again? Are you ready to read another Independent Commission report? I, re- I reread it again last night. Just <laughs> uh, um, so, yeah, I mean, look, I agree with Lyndon in a lot of aspects. Um and like you said, Matt, I think we can be mad at everyone. What? What? And it's not. Not. I don't think it's a media narrative necessarily. Like, there's some really respect to journalists who I, I, you know, I think are brilliant. Kind of saying the line. I, I, Daniel story earlier as well. Like in response to the fabs, um, the FAB's like comment saying like, you know, what about the fans of the other clubs? I think there's just got to be this blur line of like, the other clubs didn't get relegated because Everton overspent by nineteen and a half million. Um, they just it, it just didn't happen like that and if it did the clubs would have already sued when they had the chance after the first thing got got put through so let's put that on hold i think with the second i think with the second charge i can't really even think i'm not really even thinking about it now now i'm just it's made me realize how even more well all it is and i think paddy's done a great piece in the athletic i've written about it as well um john blaine's done a big piece on 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 the more than a game substat that i run but it's just making this appeal more and more important because as Lyndon said, there was no precedent. Well, Everton's first case now is the precedent. You know, if I were Nottingham, if I were Everton, I'd be going to Nottingham Forest and asking them to chuck us a few uh, hundred thousand to pay Super Silks wages for a day or two because they need this as a they need a win for Everton as badly as as badly as a win for them. If I think I don't know what's the most. Like, I was looking at Everton's statement and Everton seemed to suggest that they still dispute how far they were over the limit. But then, when I that's why I reread parts of it last night. Now, there's a point 49 essentially in the piece where Everton try and claim that they they were only seven, um, sorry, they were only 112 million total, so seven million of the 105 million threshold. The Premier League obviously came to 19.5 million over. The commission decided that Premier League were right, but Everton, like when you go through it. 7.6 million of that was for this transfer levy, which every club commits to. And Everton were trying to claim that should count as like youth development. And the commission threw that out. And I'm like, I don't even know if the best lawyer in the country is going to be able to argue with something that is so clearly like a, 
a bit of a con on Everton's part, trying to pull the wool over the eyes. And then when you look at the stadium interest issue, like it actually only comes down to about 2.2 million that the commission, the original commission found would be allowed. So again, the lawyer, the so Patrick, the, those, the those are the loans, sorry, just to clarify, those were the loans that Everton took out and said were for stadium costs, but it's been, that has since been disputed by the Premier League. Yeah, and, and it's disputed by, the, disputed by the Premier League. Swiss Ramble at the time of the first charge did a big, did a big piece on it and... It doesn't help that in Metro they took two loans out, Metro Bank and Rights of Media, and in Met- and this is the one that Everton claimed. But in Metro Bank, in Everton's loan application to Metro Bank, and I'm quoting, it says, "We do not intend to use any of the funds for the new stadium project." So it is essentially like I I don't like I don't know what I don't know how they're going to find a way around it. But I'm not a lawyer, being getting getting you know. 50 grand an hour or whatever they're going to get, five, you know, um, 50 grand a week. It's like playing a, playing a footballer. Um, I'm sure there is Everton, if they clearly are confident enough that they're going to go back and be able to dispute some of the figures. Um, that's what it seemed to me in their statement anyway, in response to the, the second charge, because Everton essentially saying, if we weren't found guilty of this overspend, we wouldn't then be in breach again, you know, a second time because of the rolling three-year cycle so i guess it comes down to that and then on the other side as linda said it maybe comes down to i guess you know everton are probably going to have two or three routes of attack aren't they? they're going to have can they dispute any of the figures again um you know and, and maybe this is where the commercial litigation experts definitely come in which is what the super silk is is the one of the top commercial litigators in the country commercial barristers you know can they can they show that this loan interest it was definitely on the stadium and they weren't going and paying players with it um because the premier the commission found again that they put on the balance of they they, they actually say essentially paraphrasing here that they saw both sides of the argument they saw that everton wouldn't have needed to take this money out if they weren't building a stadium by themselves but they couldn't on the balance of probabilities that's what they've said prove that everton used it for the stadium and quotes like that in the loan application won't have helped um, so can Everton prove that, you know, no, this this money was on there, this interest was incurred from that and not playing for other things? And then I guess on the other side, it's can they argue down that the punishment is just too harsh and it sets an unfair precedent? And maybe they'll even be able to point to upcoming cases, for example, Nottingham Forest, and say, like, you know, this is just going to set a dangerous precedent moving forward. Um, and then just lastly, the case that the commission used as a precedent, the first time was Sheffield Wednesday against the EFL. In that case, actually, Sheffield Wednesday did get six points back. So they went from a 12-point deduction to a six-point deduction. Now, like I said, this case is now going to become the precedent. It When Everton, when the next hearing comes around, if it comes around for Everton, when it comes around for Forest, the independent commission at the time will not be using a precedent from the EFL. It will be using the Premier League versus Everton. So this is, again, why so much rests on this appeal. Like, can Everton maybe get five points back and maybe they can argue harshness of the punishment? They could argue um, mitigating circumstances that weren't taken into account. You know, I, I don't, I'd be very disappointed if it comes out in February whenever the hearing gets heard and it's just Everton trying to retread the same argument like that, we, we you know, we didn't sue Guilford Sigurdsson, so you should give us 10 million back. Like it's come on, like like, but you know, clearly, like the war in Ukraine should should have been considered more, in my opinion. 
COVID losses maybe not, but you know, losing sponsorship deals, that that is a that is a big thing to happen. You know, even the even just suspending the Finch Farm sponsorship was worth 12 million, 12 million a year, 12 million, 12 million a season. Like they did it halfway through 21, 22. You could say that's six million pro rata. Then they haven't got it at all for last season. You know, so that, I think there's arguments. Um, and if Everton can get something back on that appeal, then maybe there's hope that the second charge, you know, it's all going to be kind of relative to each other. So, you know, if Everton managed to get five points back and then the second charge is 75% of the same offence, maybe they'll say, okay, that's only worth two points and it ends up being that Everton get deducted seven points overall, you know. Yeah, it's, I mean, expertly summed up there, mate. It's, um, it's, it's going to be a messy process, isn't it, going forward? And like, I think, like you said, the fact they brought in a new lawyer would hopefully suggest that they're not just going to go down the, the same route, um, in the appeal as he did with, with the initial one. But, you know, Linda, look, looking ahead, it's, it's one of them, isn't it, now where this is just going to hang over us for, you know, I think the, the appeal, you know, from what I've I've been told, it could be next week when it starts to, the hearings all start, and hopefully we'll get an answer on that soon. But you know, we could be looking at end of the season, beyond the end of the season. By the time Everton find out about this this latest charge, and then of course there could be an appeal on that. Um, so we could be looking at midway through the summer when when all this gets gets resolved. And I think like you know, whatever you think about the, the rules, um, whatever you think about where Everton should have been charged, the punishments, that kind of thing. Like to to have points potentially taken off months after the season's finished, to have appeals heard over the summer when teams are trying to do transfers, plan pre-season tours, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that just feels weird and, and wrong. And it just means we you know potentially can't take anything really from, from matches between now and the end of the season because we don't know what those things are gonna mean. Yeah, it, the the sporting integrity of it all is really compromised by, it, isn't it? It's just the way that the way that they've done it. They've, they've sort of let the process lag from previous seasons obviously into this one which means we've obviously had the 10 points deducted and then you know if they if i think what they want to do what they're trying to do is to have everything with our case and forest both our first appeal the next commission and any appeals beyond that they want all of that wrapped up by something like the 24th of may or something but but you know whenever it is the potential is as as you say we could finish the season and still not know who's been relegated you know, or or we could, we could so let's say hypothetically we win our appeal, or we get some points back. Um, say at the end of February, then for the rest of the season, the teams down below us and the teams immediately above us are are not sure how many points we're going to end up, or maybe even Forest are going to end up with at the end of the season. So it's just, it's just mad the way that they've done. And this is this is what I keep coming back to about where some common sense should sort of enter the equation. Because I think, I think if they could wind the clock back, the, the league would do this very differently. You know, because as I said before, we've had we've had this idea of points penalties, but then now you're in a situation where the actual practical implementation of all this is just making a complete mess. Um, so I I wouldn't have been surprised if they just said, look, let's just put a break on all of this, bring the new rules in in, in August, and then everyone knows you know more about more from where they stand. Um, but yeah, I mean, but what Patrick said, you know, summed it up brilliantly. Um, and, and for me, I think if they try and relitigate it on the um, or just on the question of whether they breached at all, I think that's probably a losing argument. I, I would, I would hammer the the, uh, the 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 severity of the sanction um, for the fact that 
really we're talking about stadium interest when it comes down to it, you know, and the fact that I think with the next appeal, the key to it from Everton might be the the Ukraine thing is obviously much more of a, of a factor, I think, because obviously the, the invasion was February 2022. That's only a few months of the season. But as you said, Matt, the whole of last season, it, it comes into play, into play. So I think you've got much more of a case for Everton perhaps having a fine or a suspended sentence for the next appeal. But again, as you say, we, we have no idea and we won't know until the season finishes. So yeah, how, how do you approach the rest of the season? Are you just kind of, kind of take it game by game and, and say, okay, we've got three points there. So that inches us a little bit closer to some unknown points, you know, deficit that we're going to have to face at the end of the season. It's mad, mad. It's all this, all this bluster now, Patrick, and all the potential mm. like terrible bits of it that we've, we've spoken about. Coupled with the fact that I think managers clearly in this this window, it's been noticeable. Like I've heard Arteta talking about it and Eddie Howe talking about it quite a lot about how they can't spend money in this window without selling players because of these rules. Do you mean the Premier League will look at that and the way in which teams are, are cutting back and being more sensible in the spending? And maybe us, obviously, being one example of Forrest being the other is like they're sort of the sacrificial lambs in a sense that right we're gonna we're gonna hit these hard with these rules and we're gonna make sure that you know we're strict with them and we're gonna send a message to everybody else about this. Will they look at that and then look at Arsenal tightening the belts, Newcastle tightening the belts, other teams spending a bit more sensibly and think these these rules are actually starting to work and and, and have an effect now. Like will, will they will they see all this as a positive from their point of view? Do you think? I mean, I don't know if you watched any of Richard Masters' appearance in front of the DCMS. Yes, bits and well. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's all been done with the best of intentions, but it's a bit like VAR. But it's just the the like Linda said, the application of it and the way it's been done and the people doing it. It's just like they don't really have a clue. And I think with the Premier League, and this is on them and the clubs, the arrogance of the clubs. Like when we say the Premier League, we have to remember. The people who own the Premier League are the clubs. It's the 20, 20 clubs at the time. And Richard Masters, as much as he came across as extremely arrogant and, you know, he's, he's been a target of abuse. At the end of the day, he heads up an executive board that his job is also to represent those clubs. And like when he's saying, you know, at the DCMS the other day, like he, he kind of begrudgingly accepted it the other day that an independent regulator is going to happen. But at the first case, he, the first hearing, he was very much against it. That's because the clubs don't want it. He, you know, he's doing his job in that sense. But I think that they're going to look at it and say, yeah, we're going to hit these hard. These are working. But he did say that on in February at the next shareholders meeting, which, you know, we may well know the outcome of the, the appeal by then. There is going to be a vote on to go to the UEFA model, which there hasn't been confirmation of when it comes in. Everton assert that it will be coming in next season. You know, but Richard Masters was a bit more vague and he said that, you know, we're considering it. We, we don't know when it would be. But basically to go to this UEFA cost model, I think a squad cost model, where they just do it slightly differently. And UEFA are a lot more charitable with their punishments, but they, they still do hand them out and they essentially offer like, you know, five-year, not suspended sentences as such, but five-year watch, like watch watchdogs, really. And it's like, if you do something again in these five years, you are getting banned from Europe. It's different with UEFA. UEFA don't have the right to go and dock Real Madrid 20 points, but they do have the right to ban them from the Champions League, for example. Not that they probably would. Um, 
so yeah, I, I, it just it's all a mess, and that's the, that was what really made me laugh the other day about Richard Masters when it was put to him. Do you not think it's messy? And he he said with a straight face, no. And yet you've got clubs threatening to sue each other. You've got a club that doesn't know if it's going to be hit with another deduction or gets points back, or both happen. Like they could get points back and then they'd be deducted ten points again anyway. You've got appeals that could last until after five years, after, uh, five five years, five days after the season is finished. You know, you've got Nottingham Forest are going to potentially try and claim that because they didn't sell a player in the accounting window, they should be rewarded for it. But then, which seems like mad, but then when you look at the profit and sustainability rules, it's more profitable and sustainable for Nottingham Forest to sell Brennan Johnson for 20 million more than they were getting offered two months earlier. Like, how is that not messy? So... Yeah, I just, I think it's, again, it's like the best of intentions, but it just needs refining and the people in charge to realise, you know, some common sense needs to be applied. Um, and the, But the issue is, and like when you read the independent commission, it's like these are lawyers and accountants and they're just looking at it. And, you know, the, the best in the country at what they do, but they're just looking at the facts at hand. They're just looking at it and going, this is black and white and they're not going to be taking the emotion into a, into account and I, I guess again this is just comes back to the appeal it's why the appeal for Everton is so important it's you know the club can the club get across that this is about emotion this is about the fans you know to me I'd be using everything that Richard Masters said when he was trying to offer sound bouts the other day about football being for the fans etc etc well you know I'd be throwing back that you know throwing that at them in the appeal I'd be throwing it at him in the next hearing because he's going to be getting up again to do his witness statement so you know, again, I'm not a lawyer. I wish I was. Um, <laughs> Sound like one. Yeah, it does. <laughs> you know, but um, I, I, you know, you just, I just, it, it despairs because I do think at the heart of it, there has to be obviously some regulation. There has to be some financial safety nets. But the way it's applied at the minute is just, just chaotic. And yeah, no, but nobody really does have a clue. Yeah, I get, I, I, I agree. Like, I think that the rules of. It depends which way you look at them, don't you? Like on the one hand, they they will stop teams spending recklessly and potentially go in the way of Portsmouth, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like if, if if these rules are implemented, then and teams follow them properly, then that that will happen because teams won't spend outside the means. But it also just locks in the established order, doesn't it? Um, in the sense of you know how how can teams coming up to the Premier League eventually get to a point where they're competing with with City, you know, how can even like teams like us and, and, and Palace, even like who are sort of marooned in mid table, get to that point about something amazing happening? Like, I thought it was interesting that he used the example of, of Brighton, um, in the in the um, the DCMS here and the mm. other day. It's like, well, the, the sixth in the league, they've not, they're not going to win the title, have they? Or, no, I, or really I think, or pushed exactly, they're going to be a glass ceiling. The only way that I think this was pointed out, Brighton, a brilliant model to follow, but you know, do you know what Brighton benefit from? Chelsea being able to go and chuck 200 million at them every window. Yes. Like, again, and it's this revenue-based way of doing it. You just can't play catch-up unless, ironically, you go on, I don't know, try and, like, change where you're playing so you can upgrade your infrastructure, which I know is counted outside of the PSR models. But, you know, try and do that in a pandemic. Try and do that self-funding. And I think we can all look back, like... You know, this could all have been avoided if Mashiri in 2019 had taken up the interest rate of whatever it was at the time, 2%, and just got the loan out or gone with the council. And we wouldn't have had any of this. 
We probably wouldn't have had it, but we also wouldn't have had any of this if we'd have just not bought Ben Godfrey. Like, these are the things we wouldn't have any of this if, you know, Carlo Ancelotti had won two or three more games in the running in 2021. Everton would have finished sixth and they wouldn't have had any of this. They'd have got been 20 million better off. It's it's all ifs and buts. And I just think that's what they need to take into account that, you know, when applying the rules, it can't be that these that the punishment for the rules is more damaging the more damaging to the profit and sustainability of a club any club it make it, it just doesn't make sense and same for forest like you know a points deduction for forest could really help everton and we don't know how much they've gone over but again swiss ramble his piece on them earlier this week he said well by his calculations they needed to be they needed to essentially lose less than 39 million and they'd have been fine so if he's right, Forrest have lost more than forty million last, you know, last year. Mm. And if the reports that they needed to sell Brendan Johnson by a certain date are right, then and thirty million wasn't enough for them, then you could be looking at they're at least thirty million over, you know. And, and where does that come into play? So, yeah, it yet again very messy in a. And when you've got the CEO of the Premier League claiming it's not a mess, you just think, well, <laughs> what what's the way out really? Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if um, all our fans will be saying enforce the rules properly. If Forrest can get like a fifteen point deduction, we'll all become sticklers for the for the PS yeah. Yeah. Uh, regulations by that point. <laughs> I think I think Forrest and Everton play each other in uh, April, late April. So uh, that could be a a fun oh, wow. one. Just the entire Goodison, just <laughs> even the away fans holding up the the banners. Yeah. The PSR derby. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and just to finish off as well, I'll come to you, Lyndon. Uh, Richard Masters yeah. also spoke about triple seven. Um, I mean, speaking of Messi, Jesus Christ. Um, it, it, it sounded to me like he was annoyed with them in a way. Um, and I think a lot of the themes that he said in regards to not getting answers to questions properly, um, dragging stuff out, um, it follows a theme of many, many, many reports we've seen from them um, across the the portfolio of football clubs they've got. And, and, and based on what he said and, and how frustrated he, he seemed to be with it, um, it, it's one of them now you look at and say, again, you've got to have your doubts about this happening. And then we could potentially, well, we have taken £150 million off them as well. It's just, I mean, where, where does that leave us? It's really, really worrying because, you know, it's not just an isolated incident or... You know, um, you could look at, say, Yosimar and some of their expose articles, some of the early ones, and just think, okay, you're, you're really digging, you know, to try and find dirt on this lot. It, it's, it doesn't seem to be hard to find. It's everywhere you look. Um, you know, go, you go right back to to the founding of the of the company and, and the kind of the really sort of ethical, suspect, sus, ethically suspect methods that, you know, and, and just the dirty world that they were in. You know, you could say that, They've moved there. They've kind of left that behind. But you've around every corner, you've got um, payments that are that are late, or that, that that eventually. It seems like they eventually find the money, but not before they've caused a whole load of grief. Um, and you know, Vasco da Gama have got transfer bans. Standard Liège have been hit by one by the the Belgian league, I think. Um, and that I made this point on on our, on our podcast yesterday. I said that's just got Everton written all over it. Transfer bans and and you know trouble with the league. It's, it's like we don't need to invite any more of that. Um, so the, the flip side of it is is that they seem to have the football side of it actually. You know they seem to be know what they're doing on the football side. They've obviously got 
you know, they've got they've, they've created this football division, this global football division. They've got Johannes Sporzes, I think, the the guy that uh, Tottenham, I think, at one point wanted for their sporting director. He speaks very well about what they want to do. You know, the teams that they bought all on the on the pitch at least are usually sort of on in general doing well or sort of improving. So if if they could prove that the money is there and the Premier League are happy that the money is there, then it, it could work. But I'm just looking at this this really sort of shady infrastructure that they've got that just seems like a house of cards that's ready to fall at any moment. And as I say, there's just there's, there's nothing more Everton than that, you know? <laughs> yeah, and um interview this week. Patrick Vizek Hayden saying he didn't get paid frequently or on time from the ages. <laughs> it feels like every day there's just a new story with them, isn't there? No, it feels like is this like a MSP just spending all that money they gathered just to put out all the bad news stories about seven <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah, I, 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 I'm one of them. Like, I, I, I totally see where people are coming from. Like, we, we want better than this. And I fully support that argument. Especially when I see Josh Wander's got a stunt double that also wears a suit and a cap. I'm baffled by that. But that uh, was very strange, brother. Very strange. Yeah, that. they had to do a double take. <laughs> but on the flip side, again, it's like, well, look, they're clearly putting the money where the mouth is. I don't know where the money's coming from, but they're putting it to an extent. Does it exist? This is the thing. Money at that level just doesn't exist. Does it? It's just numbers. It's just numbers on a page or on a computer. And if a club goes bust or a company goes bust, those numbers don't exist anymore. That's the way of the world. Uh, and, you know, fans or smaller people in any walk of life are like picking up the scraps, unfortunately. Um, I think that the issue with 777 now is that they are in so deep at Everton and Everton in so deep with them that, you know, if if there is a, if if for whatever reason the Premier League said no, um, which, you know, it, it did sound like Masters was annoyed with them, but I also think, are they like, just to play devil's advocate, are they almost, are the Premier League doing everything they can to say yes to 777. So, you know, is it, which way is it? Are they doing everything everything they can to say no to them? Why would they do that? That puts one of their clubs in a lot of danger. Like, and I don't think they want that deep. Like, I don't, I think the the rule, the PSR thing is a bit different. They're wanting to be strict with punishment. I don't think they actively want a club to go out of business. Um, it wouldn't be a good look for the Premier League at all, and especially Richard Masters. So are they wanting to say yes and they're just not getting the answers? Um, and then you know if seven seven do don't, if the move doesn't go through, Everton are lumped with one hundred and fifty million worth of debt. That you know people keep saying, oh, we can go get better. There'll be other people coming. There'll be other owners. It's like Jesus Christ. If they're not speaking up now, when are they going to speak up? And then is that owner going to come in and be willing to write off all the existing debt, all the debt to rights and media funding, and then another hundred and fifty million worth of debt to seven seven seven? It's yeah it. It's a mess, and I, I I almost do now think that unfortunately the best way out is going to be seven seven getting hold of it, and just we've got to maybe hope that their plan is just to kind of get to the stadium, have a few years there, and flip the club maybe. But in the meantime, maybe we could benefit from their multi club expertise. I I don't know, but yeah, it doesn't look good. Doesn't look like Isaac Hayden will be uh, coming to the coming to us in the summer anyway. <laughs> hey, give it a few years. I'd be lucky to have a player like him. Um... You never know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Whichever, yeah, the takeover stuff is mad. It feels like whichever path we go down, it's just fraught with danger and, and jeopardy. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 so grim. Um, what, what are you up to this weekend, lads, anyway? Uh, try and finish on a positive. Um, Lyndon, what have you got planned? 
Not much, actually. The wife's away. She's traveling to the other side of the country. And I know I'm just I trying to adjust to this weird world where we're just not playing on a regular schedule. It's just bizarre. You know, cram all the games in December and then we'll play three three Premier League games, I think, after the next cup game, all sandwiched into 11 days. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. You know, players get injured and then the Premier League's like, oh, well, they have a month to, to, to get fit again. No, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> so, yeah, not much, mate. Not much. Uh, Looking Patrick. after the dogs. Yes. Uh, Patrick, what about you? Uh, yeah, got a friend coming over from Amsterdam. So, yeah, doing, I think, playing badminton tomorrow with my missus. And then, yeah, got into ba- big into badminton in the last few weeks. So, oh, nice. been, last few months, actually. So, I'll be thinking, like, yeah, if it all goes, if it all ends, if it all ends this <laughs> season, I'll just take up a, get a, a passing interest in, you know, another support, another sport that's not going to make me make my life miserable but yeah quiet weekend generally just yeah a few drinks maybe tomorrow night but it is going to be nice not having to like do you know that thing where like you've you've got something planned on a saturday night or whatever and never going to play at three o'clock or 12 and and you know you, you're almost like i remember where, like where we're going out in november after the palace game and it's like obviously the way that the palace game won and then just sets you up for the entire week and then obviously six days later we go get hit with ten points. But yeah, it's <laughs> nice when you have that one of thinking whatever happens, like I can just have a nice time. My day is not going to get ruined by refereeing decisions or Michael Keane playing or anything like that. <laughs> oh, amazing! Well, best of luck in your <laughs> your badminton match. Oh, thanks, mate. Yeah, no, it's uh, my girlfriend's much better than me at it. So yeah, I'm uh, <laughs> on a losing yeah. streak. <laughs> there you go. Uh, some some sport we can all get behind over the weekend yeah. with Everton. Uh, fingers crossed Patrick gets the win <laughs> in that. Uh, cheers to both of the lads for joining us. Uh, we've got mailbag that'll be out tonight. Uh, we also got instant reaction from the game on Wednesday as well. And just before I go, I would encourage absolutely everybody if they haven't already to give a listen to the latest old new Borrow Blue uh, that Les has done with Adam Sutton. Uh, it's 45 minutes long. It's absolutely magnificent. It'll have you laughing and crying. Uh, so do go and check it out. It's absolutely boss. Les is doing some great stuff uh, with that show. Um, definitely looking to get Lyndon and Patrick involved in it at some point further mm-hmm. down the line as well. But do go and check that out over the weekend about the toffees. Uh, try and stay positive. Up the blues. I'll speak to you soon. Network.